Welcome to New Life Horizon Church. We are so happy that you could join us this morning. New Life Horizon Church exists to create settings and opportunities for persons, families to come to know God, to, to know His purposes for their lives, to understand His promises so that they can maximize their potential as His plan for their lives are revealed. I am so happy that you could join us this morning and we look forward to worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. We look forward to bringing him into where we are and to coming to where he is together. So may you enjoy your time with us and be blessed. Amen. disappointed with the ending but I just want to remind you who sits on the real throne the king of kings and the lord of lords so you will not be disappointed because no one can be throning no one can stand before him without the blood of his son Jesus Christ so today as we get into the, the sermon and we pray that a thought an inspired word a blessing from God will not only you will not only hear the word but it will challenge you and also transform you today that is our prayer today, that you will be transformed and challenged. And then the decision will be yours to accept this King that rules forever. His throne is forever and cannot be dethroned. So in the game of life, he will always challenge us because we realize life is not a game life is challenging but you want to know that you are on the right side when you're fighting the battles because we know there are battles that we have to fight and the battle is always consistent the enemy is not resting the enemy of our souls will always try to come into our minds. So that's why we have to renew our minds with the Word of God. We have to read the Word, meditate on the Word, and actually do what the Word says. So that we don't be only hearers, but doers of the Word. So today we are going to challenge you to 
to hear the word and also respond. And for those who have not yet come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we pray that the Lord will touch your heart today and that you will pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. This morning, the topic of the message is the compromising church. The text is Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has its throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed the idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicol Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And so, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that your word will accomplish that which you desire for it to accomplish this morning. Lord, I offer myself as a vessel through which you would speak. I offer myself, Lord, as a vessel through which you would speak to your people, God, and speak to them about what your heart, about your heart concerns and desires to them. Lord, I stand as a willing vessel. May the words that come from my mouth, God, Confirm, transform, edify, cautions, cautions, commend, approve, whatever God. But Lord, I'm willing to be used by you. May only the word that you want to speak come from my mouth. 
So I give you thanks, Lord, even as I spend this this moment, this this opportunity, this time, God, to bring your word. Father, I give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, the topic is the compromising church. We started this journey two weeks ago by looking at the seven churches in Asia. We first looked at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, which was the first church the message was sent to. And we recognized then when we spoke that the message, that this message that we're looking at this morning is a revelation that came from God to Jesus. Jesus sent it to the angels who delivered it to John. And John then penned letters to the seven churches in, in Asia, sending the message from God. And for each message, it says, to the angel of, and, it's, and, and, and it is very specific to each church, to the angel of the church, or to the angel in the church of Ephesus, to the angel over the church of Pergamon, to the angel over the church of Smyrna, and it continues. And then we recognize that God, that Jesus in each letter identifies himself to the church in a unique way. A way that was specific to them to understand based on what they were going through and what he was about to do. And so this week we, we, we are looking at the church of Pergamon. Pergamon it was an ancient city, an ancient Greek city now called the modern village of Bergamon. Pergamon was known for wealth, for cultic worship, and it was famous for temples built in honor of their many gods, common g-gods. This was also known as a place where Satan had his throne, where his quarters was, because with all of these temples and worshiping of, of, of pagan gods, it was a place where Satan was idolized. Idolatry was the highest form. It was where Zeus, the king of the gods, the sky and the thunder god, who assigned the gods their roles lived. That was where people went to worship Zeus. It was where Dionysus, the god of pleasure, was. It was like people say, if you, it's like in Vegas going to Vegas and you say whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas it was the same thing like going to Pergamum whatever happened there stayed there because pleasure the God of pleasure was there it was there that people who sought wisdom went to the God of Athena they went there the farmers and persons who were concerned over their crops went to seek the God of Demeter it was there the God of Trajan for those who wanted safety and peace with Rome. That's where they went and they worshipped Caesar. And it was there the God of Esculapius, the God of medicine and healing. For persons who were sick, they would go. Those who were deceived would travel far and wide just to go to Pergamon, seeking healing from the God. It was told that people would go and when they go to, 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 to this God, Esculapius, they would go and they would be shut in a dark room 
And the snakes would just crawl all over their bodies. And in, in their mind, that was how they were healed. As the snakes crawled over their bodies in the dark, they felt like the healing powers were coming out of the snakes. And for us in this latter day world, for us in this time, in this current season, when we look at the medical symbol, we see the serpent wrapped around a staff. That's the symbol that was used from then that we are using now. Offered, representing the god of Esculapius. The church of Pergamum was the third church to receive its message from Jesus. They experienced great pressure to compromise their faith or to leave their faith because they were married in a world, they were living in a world where Satan had its throne. And as Kurt mentioned this morning about the Game of Thrones, the world was watching Game of Thrones. Enamored by what was happening on the TV series, and people would gather week by week and you would hear persons talking about the Game of Thrones. But Pergamum represented everything that belonged to Satan. It was where Satan ruled. It was Satan reigned because there was so much idolatry, so much worshipping of pagan gods, so much sexual immorality. everything goes. What day, what happened in Pergamum stayed in Pergamum. And this morning in verse 12, we are seeing where Jesus identifies himself and he says, I am the one, I, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Jesus was identifying himself to the church of Pergamum as the sword, as the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. The sword we know can be used as a defensive or an offensive weapon, depending on which side. If you are attacked or you are going to be the one to attack. It was a weapon used by the Roman soldiers to demonstrate authority and judgment. The Roman soldiers, they, 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 their sword was short. It, on both sides it was sharp and double-edged. It was quick to draw because of how short it was. So they, could, they, they, they never had to be drawing this long sword. They could just draw the sword quickly to attack or to defend. It was double-edged with a diamond tip which made it possible for the soldier to thrust into his enemy in any direction. He wheeled the sword. He was able to cut from the left, cut from the right at a deadly pace because both sides were sharp. The Roman soldier's sword was known as the sword that conquered the world. Like the Roman sword, Jesus' sharp double-edged sword represents God's ultimate authority and judgment on this, in this world. According to Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than the, any double-edged sword. It 
penetrates even to the to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And when Jesus said he has the double-edged sword, we are recognizing that the sword that he has is the word of God. So the word Jesus had the sword, the word of God in his mouth. And the word of God is the instrument that cuts, that penetrates, that exposes the intent of a man's heart. It separates true believers from non-believers. It separates believers from condemnation and, and separates them from conformity to the world. It divides and it guarantees judgment to a world based on absolute truth. So we see that Jesus is saying, I am the one who holds the double-edged, the sharp sword. And I come to cut, to separate, to divide, to penetrate, to judge. And he was saying to the church in Pergamon, I come as one who has the power. I have the authority. I come as one who come to judge you because you have compromised. You have compromised your faith. But in verse 13 he says to them, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. And so Jesus was saying, I am this double-edged sword. I am the same God as I cut and as I penetrate. I see your good deeds. I commend you for where you have held strong, where you remain steadfast. Because I'm aware of your circumstances. I know that you are situated, that you are located, that you live, you dwell in the place where Satan zip code is. You are in the place where Satan has his headquarters. You are living, you are worshipping in that same place where Satan has his throne. You are surrounded by empire worship. You are surrounded by people worshipping all different gods and various gods. You are surrounded by people who are practicing all forms of idolatry. Yet, you remain steadfast. You remain true to my name, says Jesus. And even did not refuse to renounce your faith. Even when Antipas, one of the first martyrs of your church, was murdered for his faithfulness to me. And so Jesus was saying to them, I understand your circumstances. You live in the den of hell, yet you remain steadfast. Yet you hold true to my name. And even when you see persecution to the, place, to the place of death occurring in you, around you, you remain true to my name. I remembered a friend of mine, um, 
what if it, it, they're sharing with me a story about these these, these witnesses, these, these missionaries who, who went to the who, or goes to different countries to, to just to share the gospel of Jesus. And as they go and they share, they know, some of them know that they where they're going, that the name of Jesus is caused just by using the name of Jesus, you are subjected to death. And year after year, these people would still go. Even as we are speaking now, there are missionaries who are, who are being persecuted in countries right now just because of the name of Jesus. Just because they hold true and steadfast to the name of Jesus. You and I may not be in that setting right now. But there is going to come a day where it will not be as easy as it is now to talk about Jesus. We are, we are going to be persecuted. We are going to die. Our lives are going to be dependent upon us. Declaring that Jesus is not Lord. That's the only way we are going to be able to live. But Jesus was saying to this church in Pergamum. I know your circumstances. I know the difficulty you are facing in just worshipping me. Yet, you hold true. You live in the same zip code. So your zip code is zero, zero, zero. That is where Satan's zip code is. Because that is where he functions the best in Pergamon. And so Jesus was saying to them, I understand. I understand and I commend you for what you have been through. I commend you for how you have held fast to what you are going through. You held true to my name. And he's saying to you this morning, I know that some of you are going through hardships and you're struggling. Actually, some of you are living in households that you cannot even allow your family members to know that you have given your life to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, I commend you for holding true to my name. I commend you for holding on. I commend you for still serving me in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your difficulties. I commend you. You have hold, you have held fast to relationship with me. And then in verse 14 he says to them, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Jesus was rebuking the church of Pergamon because of the things that they did. So yes, they had they held on. They had they held on to the faith, their faith in Jesus. But he said to them, Some, of, some among you are holding to the teaching of Balaam. Some of you are holding on to the teaching of Balaam. And so some of you may ask, so who is this Balaam? In Numbers 22 to 24, we see that Balaam appears to be a true prophet. Who refused to curse the Israelites. Because they were asked by Balaam to he was asked by Balak to curse them because he was afraid. He was terrified. He heard that the Israelites had, had, had destroyed the Ammonites. And he was terrified that with them moving and coming closer to him in Moab, the Moabite king and his people, 
that they would come to destroy them. And so he sent for Balaam and he said, curse these people. But even though Balaam knew that, the, that the, they were the enemy of God, he knew that he could not curse them because God would never allow him to curse them. And so Jesus is saying to the church, you have held true to the teaching of Balaam. The teaching of Balaam is an idea that a believer can fully participate in the ways of the world and at the same time serve God. The teaching of Balaam was saying, okay, you can go to church on a Sunday, you can read your Bible, you can do all the practices of what that, that Christianity says you can do and it is okay, but at the same time, you can do this, you can do this like the world. You can lie like the world, you can have sex like the world. You can do all of those things that the world is doing because really and truly you are, you are practicing Christianity in one hand but on the other hand you are doing the things of the world. And so Jesus was saying to them you are falling to the teaching of Balaam you are compromising your faith. Then he said to them Balaam taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. And you may say, so how did he teach them? In 2 Peter, Peter 2 verse 15, Balaam promoted falsehood for financial reasons. In Jude 1 verse 11, Balaam accommodated pagan beliefs out of greed. He turned Christian liberty into a freedom to be promiscuous. The doctrine of Balaam teaches compromise. He's saying there's no need to be holy and separate. You can enjoy both worlds. You can enjoy the world of the Christians and you can enjoy the world of the, of, of the secular world. The doctrine of Balaam said you don't have to distinguish yourself from the world. You don't have to distinguish yourself from, from non-believers. You can live like them. You can enjoy everything. You can have all the pleasures of Vegas. You can gamble. You can do everything. You can drink excessively. You can party all night. You can have sex with whomever you want to have sex with. You can lie. You can steal. You can cheat. You can do anything. Just keep doing it. Just do everything. Why would you want to live separate? The doctrine of Balaam says it doesn't hurt for you to have to be to, to be financially blessed once you know how to, to cheat, you know how to overcharge your clients. The doctrine of Balaam says you can enable sinful behavior for personal gain. You can enable sinful behavior for for, for popularity. And so everything with the doctrine of Balaam is saying that you don't have to live separate from the world. You can do everything. You can do your devotions in the morning. You can go to your Bible study if you desire. You can go to your church in the morning. You can sing your praise and worship. But you can also have the pleasures of the world. 
And Jesus was saying to, 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 to them, You have held fast to my name. You remain true to my name, but at the same time, you are holding to the teaching of Balaam. And then he said to them in verse 15, Likewise, you have also hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans, we, 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 we came upon in Ephesus where, where Jesus said to them, you, you hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. But here for the program, I'm saying to them, you're holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. It is believed that the Nicolaitans are believers who have compromised their faith by carnal living while making excuses to live a life of self-indulgence. So they live carnally, but they say we are believers. And I remember having a conversation with someone recently who was living in a situation, living with, with a boyfriend, believer to the core, living with a boyfriend, enjoying all the pleasures of living with a boyfriend. And you wonder how can someone feel that comfortable because I recognize for every time I sin, my conscience does not allow me to enjoy it. Actually, if I, if I remain in sin, in, 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 in a known sin, for any period of time, what it does, it opens doors for other sins to come in. So if you struggled for argument's sake with malice or unforgiveness, is that the enemy will send everybody to hurt you, to cause you to be malicious? Whatever area you struggle with and that you have as a sin and that you're holding dear to and you're worshipping and you're holding it, clutching it to you because you truly have a reason to hold it because someone did something to you and you, this is your response. This, Jesus is saying to you, you cannot hold true to my name and at the same time compromise with the standards of the world. You cannot say you're a true believer, yet continue to live kind. And so Jesus was rebuking them because of the things that they did. They held to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. And when he, when he, he taught Balak how to cause them to, to commit sexual immorality with the, with, the, um, with the Moabite and the Midianite women. And he taught Balaam, Balak how to entice the Israelites to eat food sacrificed to idols. Balaam knew that Balak was God's enemy. Yet he sold his prophetic gifts to help him. In verse, in number 31, verse 16, Balaam was blamed for Israel's idolatry and immorality. He taught Balak how to seduce them, the Israelites. And the same thing happening to us now. 
Satan knows how to seduce us. He knows your history. He knows your past. And he will always come back for an opportune time to test you. And if he comes and he tests you, and he has made a, a groan, and he, he comes and he recognizes that if I can do this to you and get through, he's always going to be coming, knocking at your door with the same sin over and over and over. And if you allow him to come in, when he comes in, he comes in with a host of other carnal behaviors. A host of other worldly desires. But Jesus cautions him then in verse 16. He says to them, Repent therefore. Repent or Jesus or otherwise I will come soon to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Jesus was saying to them, if you do not repent, I'm going to come and bring judgment on you. I'm going to come and cut and divide and separate you. And your end result will not be nice. Jesus was saying to them, if you do not repent, I will come with judgment against your sinful and rebellious behavior. Then he says to them in, in verse 17, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus knew that there's a need for repentance. And he may be saying to you this morning, Yes, you have been faithful with doing your Bible study. Yes, you have been faithful with doing your prayer meeting. Yes, you have been faithful with doing your devotion and going to church. Yes, you have been faithful with your tithing. But this one thing I hold against you. This one thing I am rebuking you for. I need you to renounce your connection, your attachment with the enemy. Jesus is saying, yes, I know you hate those. There are certain things that you hate. But what about the ones that you are doing that you do not hate? I know your circumstances. I know where you have been true. I know the thing that you have done well. But this one thing I hold against you. You are mixing relationship with me with the world. You are enjoying the things of the world. Yet profess to be a believer in Christ. And he's saying to his cautioning of this morning, repent. What does it mean to repent? Repent is turning away from the thing that you used to do, the thing that you are doing that is sinful and wrong in the eyes of the Lord.
The thing that will cause him to judge you. The thing that will cause when he comes with the sword of his mouth and he judges you. It separates you from him. What is it that you are doing this morning that will cause Jesus to call you to repent? What is it that you are doing this morning that when Jesus comes, with the sword of his mouth he will use to cut. And when he cuts and when he penetrates you, there are things that cause him to separate you from himself. Some of us may look at, at various types of sin, and we have sins in classes. We say, okay, I don't do that. I don't do that. So I don't have sex with someone, but I lust after someone. I don't steal. I so I don't hold up a man with a gun and I rob. But I, but I, I steal in other ways. I steal a pen, a pencil at work. I take something that is not mine. And Jesus is saying to you this morning and to me, repent. Otherwise, I will come to you and fight against you. Can you believe or even imagine Jesus fighting against you? In Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be, before he was about to be crucified, when, when he was praying and the soldiers came, the scripture says he could have caught 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Yet he didn't. So imagine Jesus fighting against you. Calling even two angels. How much more 10,000 angels to fight against you. Imagine Jesus coming in all his power and his authority to fight against you. Can you stand against the king? The song says no one can no one will who will stand against our king because he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and though satan had a throne in Pergamon, he was saying to the believers if you hold true to me you will be victorious if you hold true to me i will give you the hidden manner and what is this hidden manner jesus is talking about in verse 17 the hidden manna, we, we, we recognize that the first time we came, up, came upon the word manna was in Genesis when, or Exodus rather, when Moses was leading the children of Israel in the desert. And they were hungry and, they, and God allowed manna to come down and to feed them. That manna was physical manna. And what that manna did, it, was, it, 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 it sustained them and it gave them the nourishment they needed. Physically. But this hidden manner that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual substance and nourishment of a believer. In John 6 48 to 51, Jesus is the bread of life. And he comes and he gives vitality and he gives life. The spiritual manner given to everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And Jesus is saying to, to you this morning and to me, if you overcome, if even the midst of your circumstances you hold true and remain faithful to my name, I have the manner, the hidden manner for you. Hidden because it's not given to all. Hidden because it's not revealed to all. 
It is only to those who overcome. Only to those who are victorious. Only given to those who hold true and remain faithful to Jesus. Who will receive this nourishment. This living bread that gives life. After this morning, I'm asking you, are you, you remaining faithful and true? Are you holding on to Jesus alone or are you dabbling here and there? A little of this, a little occultic worship, a little giving in to the little um, superstitious beliefs. So, you may not go to Obiaman, but once you start to carry out the superstitious beliefs or believe them and start to act upon them, you have begun to dabble. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, yes, I know that you live in a country or in a city that there are certain practices going around around you. Yes, for some of us, we are living in a country that has carnival and the revelry and the nakedness that comes with it. But Jesus is saying to us this morning, you cannot hold to me and participate in that. You cannot at the same time keep saying that you are serving me, yet you are, you are wondering and you are desiring the things of the world and the, the way the world does things you want to be your practice. You cannot continue to live carnal. Because Jesus said, if you do not repent, you're going to come and judge. Then in the next thing he said, he said, I will give that person a white stone. So the person who overcomes, Jesus will give them a white stone with their name written on it, known only to him. Some believe that, that the white stone is equivalent to innocence. It's an acquittal makes you free of all condemnation. It's a symbol of whom you have become through your faithfulness and determination to rule over sin. And they are thinking that the name, the name that could be on that stone will reflect the suffering that you endured and overcome. It's a symbol of victory. So Jesus is saying, if you overcome, I will give you manna. I will give you the nourishment. I'll give you the bread of life. I'll give you eternal life. And I will also give you a white stone with your name. Your name. A new name. A new name. And the name will reflect the suffering that you endure. What suffering are you enduring and overcoming? That will be written on your stone. What are you overcoming? What are you enduring that Jesus will say, Oh, you overcame that and this will be your name. Your name will be faithful. Your name will be loyal. Your name will be. Think about what you're overcoming. What you're enduring. What you're perse being persecuted with. Even in your home. And you may not be losing your life. But as a Christian to live daily. You have to overcome. Some of us who are not married. 
day by day you have to overcome the desires and the lust of the flesh. You have to overcome the desire for sex as you wait on God for your partner. For some of us who are, are not earning enough and God is saying to you, no, you're not earning enough, but you are not going to cook the books. You are not going to steal. You are not going to cheat. For some of us who are living in home where you have bad marriages and God is saying to you, no, you are not going to take up a second partner. Or you're struggling with struggling with struggling with different desires for, for the for the opposite for this for the same sex and God is saying, Yes, I see your attraction for a woman, even though you're a woman. I see your attraction for a man, even though you're a man. But if you overcome it, I will give you the name of an overcomer. What is it that Jesus is saying to you this morning that you need to overcome to get that name? that name on your stone. Then he said that name will be only known by the one who receives it. When you and I take part in the activity that we know is wrong and we make excuses, we justify our behavior, we say sometimes, we say, it isn't as bad as it seems. It won't hurt our faith. It won't hurt. I can do that. It's not as bad as it looks. I don't want to be a super Christian. I don't want to be one of those Christians who everything is, is heightened and it's all about... No, no. I just want to be a normal Christian. And that is what a lot many persons say as they make excuses. I don't want to be all sold out. I don't want to be a fanatic for Jesus. Right there and then you are making an excuse. You are justifying your behavior. And you think that whatever you do won't hurt your faith in God. But I'm here to tell you this morning. That you cannot mix the world with God. You cannot mix the worldly behavior with God. You cannot allow yourself to continually be enticed and dragged away by sin. The desire of sin. And at the same time, profess relationship with Christ. Jesus says to you and I this morning, Our posture during difficult situations reveal our position. Our posture during times of hardship, when you are faced with ability, when you are faced with compromise, when you are faced with the things that come and say to you, you don't have to be a fanatic. You can enjoy this and still go to church. You can enjoy this and still read your Bible and pray. God is saying to you this morning, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The darkness and light has nothing in common. Actually, when the sun rises in the morning, darkness flees. And so God is saying to you and I this morning, do not compromise your faith in me. You cannot continue to hold on to the teaching of the world. You cannot continue to love the world and love me. 
You cannot continue to do things the way the world dictates that it should be done. And at the same time, love and serve me. That's counterproductive. You cannot hold God in one hand and hold the world in the next. The world says seek pleasure. God says seek holiness and righteousness. Seek me. Seek me, Jesus says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all things will be added. But the world says seek pleasure. Seek pleasure. Run after the things that satisfy, the, the things like your money. That I'm realizing more and more does not satisfy. So what is your response to God this morning? Are you saying to him, God, I want to let go of the world and hold on to you? Or do you want to say, God, I cannot choose this morning between you and the world because the world is nice and I can only say to you this morning, the world seems nice now, but it becomes bitter. What seems right to man right now leads to death later. Eternal death and separation from God. And though you may feel comfortable now playing in the world and playing in the church at the same time, God is saying to you, when I come, if you do not repent, I am going to separate the sheep from the goats. I am going to separate the wheat from the, from the weeds or the tear. I am going to separate the things that are not the same, that are different. Jesus is calling us this morning to repent. And so Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. Your word that comes and brings clarity. That you're saying there can be no compromise in you. There can be no dabbling here and dabbling there. There can be no overcooking of the books. There can be no thing that causes us to desire the world. We cannot desire the world and desire you at the same time. That's what you're saying to us this morning. You cannot run out of the pleasures of this world. And run after the pleasures and seek me at the same time God is saying and so Father I pray for those who are listening this morning wherever they are running after the world oh that their eyes will be open to see you this morning oh that their eyes will be open God and their hearts ready because you say you penetrate the heart and you, you, you expose the intent of a man's heart. So this morning for everyone who is listening, expose their heart before them this morning. Show those who you are commending. Show, reveal what you are rebuking if there is anything to rebuke. Because Lord, at the end of the day, we all want to be known as overcomers. 
who have been given the hidden manna, who have been given that white stone with our names on it that is only known by us. Oh, what a day that will be, God, when we stand before you and receive, God, that which you have for us. When you call us by name, be thankful, you know my name. And you stand and you call me by name and you say, Ava, here, because you overcame, this is yours. God, what a day. What a day when you hear him call you by name. When he calls, will it be because he's, he's, he's commending you and he's blessing you? Or is it because he's going to be separating you and say, depart from me, I know you not. And so, Father, I stand before you this morning and I said to you, God, you know us by name. Oh, God, you walk with us and you talk with us and you tell us this morning that we are your own. May we understand that because we belong to you, God, we cannot mix the world with you. And so, Father, I just bless your name this morning. So may the Lord bless you, my sisters and brothers, this morning. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance this morning on you. And grant you his peace, the peace that comes by knowing the King of Peace. And so, Father, May we be known as overcomers today, this week, and for the rest of our lives. May we live, God, making you please. May we live, God, making you please. May we live, God, making you please. Be glorified in our lives this week, God, until we meet again. 